0: Together,
1: Jesus, we remember that you tell us that your word is for us to learn uh, from people who have gone before us. Lord, we pray that today, as we look at the life of Saul, a servant of yours, you will um, open our eyes to see and glean the lessons you have for us. I pray for your instrument. Um, Edwin, that Lord, you will speak through him. It will be the power of the Holy Spirit filling him and uh, coming through to us. Lord, give us attentive hearts and our ready ears, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. That is heavy. Um, this, if you are new to uh, our service, you may want to know that we are doing a nine-part sermon series on the first three kings of Israel, and that will be uh, Samuel, David, and Solomon. Uh, before we move on to the next three sermons, which will be on David, we have just one more week to examine the life of Saul. This is what I'm going to do. And this is the schedule. Uh, We already covered uh, with uh, uh, Chi Ming's preaching on chapter 13, chapter 18 and 19. And uh, thanks to him, I can delay my sermon to to, to this week instead of last week. Obeying is better than sacrifice, chapter 15. Now, when I uh, was preparing this uh, sermon, I, I read again and again all the chapters uh, from uh, chapter 9 all the way to uh, chapter, the end, end of the uh, Samuel, right? Uh, a lot of materials on King Saul. And I want to tell you that actually when we were first introduced to Saul in chapter 9, I immediately liked Saul. He is quite an attractive character, uh, quite a likable character. Now, you must understand that out of the multitudes of people in Israel, God handpicked Saul. And he must have handpicked Saul because uh, God recognized that there was great potential in this man. And these are his qualities. Uh, sorry. He was very handsome. There are very few mentioned of men uh, who are very handsome, alright? The other one is David, Jonathan. Saul was very handsome. He, in chapter uh, 9, when... uh. Samuel held him up in high honour. He was hesitant. He was a bit embarrassed. And he displayed humility. And when Saul uh, privately anointed uh, Saul, uh, when Samuel privately anointed Saul, he kept it a secret. He told no one. None of his relatives knew about the private anointing. Again, a display of uh, humility. Uh, and finally, it was time for him to be publicly uh, uh, you know, shown to the nation and publicly endorsed as king. And where was he? He hid. He was nowhere to be found. He, was, he stayed away from the limelight, uh, preferring obscurity. And later on, when he went back to his hometown, uh, it was recorded for us in chapter 10, uh, there were people who despised him, scorned him, people who knew him, who grew up with him, who didn't think very much about him. Uh, but when he was scorned and despised, he restrained himself. Surprisingly, he did nothing. Uh, and uh, he overlooked the offence. And finally, when it was time for the first battle, for him to undertake the first battle as king, and the people of uh, uh, Jabesh Gilead needed deliverance the Spirit of the Lord came upon him and he was full of zeal and he achieved a great victory. So you see, when when you read chapter 9 and chapter 10, chapter 11, you you will like him. He is a very charismatic um, and likable, attractive character. And of course, he had many things going for him too. This is... These are the things going for him. So I already mentioned that he had an impressive stature, uh, a little taller than I am, uh, a humble mind, uh, a new heart. God gave him a new heart. Uh, he had a spirit-filled life because the spirit came strongly upon him and he he even prophesied. Uh, you know, he had boldness, he had courage, he had zeal. Uh, you know, he was... He, will, he loved the nation. He had the acceptance of the people because when he was finally endorsed by uh, King Saul, uh, by, by Samuel, uh, everybody said, long live the king. You know, the, immediately there was acceptance. And he had the approval of God. You just read chapter 14, verse 47 to 48, and you will know that he was exceedingly successful. Let me read that for you. Okay, first, Samuel uh, chapter 15, uh, uh, ch- chapter, did I get it wrong? Yeah. Uh, chapter 14, 1 Samuel, verse 47 to 48, and when Saul had taken the kingship over from, uh, over Israel, he fought against all his enemies on every side, against Moab, against the Ammonites, against Edom, against the kings of Zobah, against the Philistines, wherever he turned, he routed them and he did valiantly and struck the Amalekites and delivered Israel out of the hands of those who plundered them. Does it sound familiar? It sounds familiar. It sounds like a man full of grace and the Holy Spirit. Approval of God was upon him And God was with him. He was successful. You see, he was a good king. He was really a good man. Full of potential. And then, as we, uh, you know, when when Jimmy started the sermon uh, two weeks ago, he started with chapter 13. See, from chapter 13 onwards, something happened. We are stunned when we read chapter 13 towards the end how can a great man and a great leader and a man of god suddenly spiral downwards into this man he became a totally different man he became fearful insecure power hungry manipulative scheming murderous tyrannical he was a, it was a different soul and and yet he was a man like us, so uh, I I don't know what you think about this because I I feel that if if he's a man like us and the, if this man is capable of degenerating and changing like that, we better we better sit up. What happened to him can happen to us, and if there are lessons that we can glean from the life of. King Saul, we better sit up and we better learn this lesson. Okay, and so so now the drama unfolds. We are at this stage in the narrative where, um, you know, something more is happening. Chapter 15 is like this, okay? God gave Saul... A mandate it was a very clear mandate and this is how clear it is chapter 15 verse 3 gives us the mandate from god they saw is to attack the amalekites and not just attack because he has attacked the amalekites before he has subdued the, the amalekites earlier but they this time he is to totally destroy everything and for the avoidance of doubt Everything is stated in verse 3 means spare nothing. It means kill men and women. It means kill child and infant. It means killing ox and sheep. It means killing camel and donkeys. You read verse 13, it's unmistakable. The mandate is very, very clear. Everything means everything. Now, I want to uh, look at this chapter 15 from Two perspective, from God's perspective and from Saul's perspective. I asked a very senior pastor, you know that, oh no, I'm, I'm preaching this passage and I'm a bit uncomfortable and I, I think it's very difficult. Have you, have you preached on chapter 15? And he said that. No, it's a very difficult passage. I've, I've never preached on it. I don't want to preach on it. You know, uh, let me tell you my discomfort, okay? My discomfort is God is God's Mandate to mercilessly annihilate everything, the whole tribe, whole people group. And I was wondering, wow, this is this is serious. Now, now I want you to see God's instructions from his perspective. Why did God give such a mission? Okay the mission of total annihilation of the Amalekites may appear to be harsh if we do not know history. Let me tell you the history in four parts. The Amalekites first appeared in the days of Moses more than 400 years ago. This is part one. You can read this story in Exodus chapter 17. 8 to 16. The story is like this. The people of Israel had just come out of Egypt and they were in the wilderness. They were a no threat to anybody. They were just passing through. And they came to a place called Rehifim. And at Rehifim, they were tired, exhausted. It was desert and they didn't have water. And the Amalekites then took advantage of their exhaustion and their lack, and they descended upon them and they cut down, they wanted to cut down the Israelites. Uh, And it was without reason because, I mean, the, the, the Israelites had no land to give up. There was no reason for the Amalekites to do it, but they did it. And of course, thanks be to God. Uh, there was a deliverance. Remember the story of uh, uh, Moses having to raise his hand and then uh, Aaron had to hold one hand and her, her had to hold the other hand and then because of this um, miracle, uh, Joshua uh, then uh, overwhelmed the Amalekites. But even though they were overwhelmed, they were not destroyed. Now, this is history part one. Then we go to history part two. This is now the days of the judges. And uh, I preached on this. I preached on chapter 6 uh, many weeks ago. The Midianites were now very powerful. The Midianites were sent by God as an instrument to, uh, to discipline uh, the, the, the Israelites. And the Amalekites say, I will join you. The Amalekites then joined the Midianites to oppress Israel. And this is not just uh, political domination. No, no. This is cruel and ruthless oppression. This is not just uh, you know, uh, what what I mean is that they, they destroyed the crops when they saw crops. And they destroyed the crops for no good reason. Just to ravage the land. Just to impoverish the people. And they were brutal, they were evil. All, all the references are there. You can go check it out. This, the Amalekites are a very evil people. But again, in the days of Judges, although Gideon overwhelmed the Amalekites, they were not destroyed. Part three of history. Now it is time. <laughs> God say in chapter 15, verse 2, specifically telling uh, now King Saul, you have already subdued them in chapter 14. Now, thus says the Lord, verse 2, chapter 15, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came out of Egypt. I remembered what they did 400 years ago, alright? Now it is this time for judgment and for the, uh, to make up justice for their atrocity and for their brutality. Now is the time for judgment. Did Saul carry out the instructions? No, right? Called up, uh, Saul didn't do it. So even though the Amalekites were defeated, they were not destroyed. History, part four. Because Saul didn't finish up the job, there is a part four. There shouldn't have been a part four of this history. Part four, now in the days of the exile, in the exilic period, in the days of Esther. Because Paul, Saul did not finish up the job, the hostility continued. Haman, the son of Hamadeta, the Agagite. Agagite is the descendants of King Agag, who who was not killed by Saul alright, rose to exterminate the Jews. Do you see things, history from God's perspective, why in part three of history, God said, it is now, now you exterminate the Amalekites. Now, God's, God gives commands, for a reason. You must understand this story from God's perspective. Okay, God knows more than we do and God is wiser than we are. As long as the seed uh, of the Amalekite perpetuates, then this anti-Semitic hostility will not end. And God God knew that. But you see... uh, Saul was wise in his eyes. And I'll tell you why he, he spat a, a, a gag, okay? agag. Uh, Deuteronomy 30, chapter 32, verse forty seven and for, 46 and 47. God says that my commandments, uh, they're not idle words. You know? Think carefully about all the words I've announced you today. I want you to command your children to also carefully obey all the words of this law. They aren't just useless words. For you, they are your very life. Do you know that the the Jews were almost completely exterminated? Because Saul didn't do his job in part three of history, in part four, they were almost wiped out. Well, of course, God had to intervene uh, uh, through the Mordecai, through Esther, and, and through a whole chain of events, the kings and all that. Now, I want to tell the same story, chapter 15, from Paul, Saul's perspective. Uh, just in case you are very sympathetic towards him. Um, now, the history is like this. Paul had, Saul, had 230,000 men under his command. Okay? Uh, 10,000 from Judah, 220,000 from Israel. A very, very big amount number, all right? These men risk their life in every military campaign. These men are not paid by the Ministry of Defence. These men follow the convention of those days, the practice of those days. If you fight, then you have a share in the plunder. It has always been like this for generations. To destroy everything and to walk away with nothing is actually quite unthinkable. It's a very, very difficult command to, to issue to the people. And, well, as they did, they did overwhelm the Amalekites. And you know what? Think about what the spoils of war would be. The spoils of the war would include gold and silver and precious metal in abundance. The spoils of war will be the abundance of other precious things. Fabric, uh, uh, fine uh, figurines, and, and furniture, uh, stones. The spoils of war will be uh, thousands of animals. Think about protein. You know, how much food it would give to the people. The spoils of war will be the multitude of young virgins. You know what they mean, right? Slave girls many things to take. This campaign, this successful campaign, means riches for every soldier of the nation. And God said, no, I want you to destroy everything and spare nothing. Now, the wishes of the people were brought to Saul. Why waste? And so I'm just imagining the conversation. No, you are to destroy everything. Okay, okay. We destroy the people. No. The Lord says that we have to destroy everything. Alright. We'll destroy the people. We'll destroy uh, the animals. We will not take the gold and the silver and every precious thing. We will keep the animals. No. God says that we have to destroy them. Alright, king. We will destroy the animal as well. But let's just keep 10% of the animal, only the best, and we will sacrifice it to the Lord. The Lord, it will be used in the sacrifice of the Lord. Can you imagine the bargaining back and forth? Now, I I want to relate to you. Uh, one of this incident that I, uh, about being, uh, you know, you know like, I, I think that it's such a waste to throw everything. My parents got converted, you know, and my sister Jennifer uh, persuaded my parents that, uh, it is about time that we do a house cleansing. Can you give us permission to do house cleansing? So my parents reluctantly finally said, Okay, you know. Now my my, my parents uh go on trips and when they go on trips they buy a lot of wonderful things. You know, I remember a a, a, a nice figuring of qi and you know the, the what we we, we we you know the, the, the season we have this qi and very nice figuring. There's a nice figuring of Yin. Of course we don't pray to them, they're just a figuring. And uh there's folk south. And then there's a lot of these pendants uh they got from uh, Thailand, and they're set in and usually uh, mostly in gold, some in silver. And so when we gather all these things uh for destruction, uh I, the brother, told my sister that hey actually uh, uh we destroyed these things, but uh you maybe we can consider selling all these things to the goldsmith, you know? And I'm sure they have a way of, of digging out, but we, we sell the gold. I mean, it's a pile of gold like that. My sister refused. My sister pointed out the scriptures to me, do you know that this is an abomination? We will not keep this, okay? So, okay, okay. And then we we destroy everything and we smash and then for the gold, uh, of course, we can't melt the gold. We went to some part in the Jurong and then we dug. I know where it is dark. We throw the gold, we throw the gold into this hole and we buried it. And that was it. Very Sayang, you know. Very sayang. Yeah. Uh, and so it was like this. Okay. This is what happened. This is the people's will. How do I know that it's a people's will? Because 1 Samuel 15:24 said so, the last one. I did what? They said I should do. The people spent first Samuel 15, 15. The best. First Samuel chapter 15, verse 21. The people took the best. Because come on, it's only logical. Don't be stupid. You know, it is a waste. You know, I I I've been under that kind of pressure before, you know, as an officer. You know, the you know, when If someone comes to ask me, sir, can I do this and all that? I say no, I offend one person, all right? But when the in check comes to me, sir, the other company is having a night's off. The men ask whether they can have a night's off. When they use the word the man, you are a bit more nervous because when you say no, you offend the whole company. And this was that kind of pressure. The people's will. This is the people's will. They want to keep part of the spoil. Can we? Only the best. Maybe just 10%. Can we do it? And so, Saul then confessed to Samuel, okay, I've sinned. I did what they said I should do. Now, this is the story from Saul's perspective. It was not so easy to obey, right? Now let me let me summarize. Uh, what, what what this is from Paul's from Saul's perspective. When I use, when I say Paul, I mean Saul. Okay. Uh, so I will use it interchangeably. Uh, what Saul is said to Samuel is this: Hey, prophet. Hi, Samuel. The mission is substantially achieved. All the animal, animals are destroyed except for the best, maybe 10%. All the people are slaughtered except one, King Agag. 1 Samuel chapter 15, 13. That because it is so substantially achieved, almost completely taken care of, he could just walk to Samuel and say that, Oh, blessed be to you, the Lord I have. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Then, then, of course, then Samuel confronted, him. What, what do you mean you have? And then after towards the end, he, he was still very defensive. Look at verse 20, 1 Samuel 15:20. And so quickly responded, But I have, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone to on the mission on which the Lord has sent me. I have, I have brought against the king. Of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. Actually, I have. You know why he said that? Because I have substantially done everything that was required. Quite substantially, almost completely. And uh, you know, you know what is this kind of behavior called? Well, he summarized like that now. I did all I could do. The people kept what they wanted to keep. God will re- still receive a share of, of the best. Actually, mission is accomplished. But this kind of behavior is called self-deception. And Jeremiah exposed it and defined it in this verse. The heart is more deceitful than all else. It is desperately sick. Who can understand it? But God can expose it. What is self-deception? Everybody engages in self-deception. That's why I think that the lessons, we, we, we don't want to be too harsh on, on Saul. We want to learn from Saul. Everybody engages in self-deception. There is... We are no different from Saul and we have the same struggles. Okay, what is self deception? Self deception, I didn't put it here. Self deception is the ability to justify our wrong actions. Self deception is the ability to justify our wrong action, it is the ca- capacity of the heart hide itself from what is true and to justify to yourself what you know is wrong and you can you can believe you just have to convince yourself that it's all right you know um uh there was a woman who went to see a pastor for counseling crying that uh my husband uh is needs to look at Penthouse Magazine and Playboy Magazine, uh, and you put it by the bedside, he needs to indulge in it uh, before they have sexual intercourse. Every time. So he said that, he told the husband, you don't need that. But I said, no, please. I, uh, uh, you know, I, I I really need to. So, but, but the woman was crying, right? And he just couldn't accept it. So the, the, the pastor was counselling her. Said, said, by the way, what, what is the occupation? What does your husband do? Oh, he's the youth pastor. He was shocked. How can it be? A youth pastor? He said that, oh, it is just a... He said that he has a problem. Uh, he needs some external stimulation. It's a problem. And the man told this woman, it is not a problem. It is the sin of pornography. You see, it is... It's the way you can define it it's a it's a problem that we can solve a problem it is it's a temporary thing it is it's external you can't help it, but it is sin it is sin and uh, I want to tell you something else which was my problem you know uh, uh you know with a bit of savings uh, I started to invest in shares you know and uh i with the advice of several advisors, and I started to to buy more and more. And I was advised, and I know uh, that there is inherently there's some danger in, in shares. You, it can be investment or it can be speculation. Okay, and uh, I would I would usually take time to think about it, to ponder, to ask advice. But there were a few times. When I didn't do that, and when I acted on the impulse, it was because somebody who is good in this, uh, in trading, gave me a tip. Hey, I think you should do it now. The price is right. Uh, I hear about this and that. So, okay, I'll just go it, and I'll be burned. Uh, So, usually, uh, I'll just lose a bit of money. But there was this one time when the tip was that this share uh, is going to perform well, and it is about... Only about thirty-four cents, thirty-five cents, and then you know, uh, you, uh, you, so if you buy like, uh, thirty thousand shares, you know, imagine if the increase is five cents, you times thirty thousand shares, you know what kind of a uh, increase, uh, profits you will get? So okay, damn in thirty thousand shares, then it drop, but well, it drop a bit lah. So I got panic. Hey, drop, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> I invested ten thousand already. So you no, know, I think really, I think it's going to go up. So okay then how you just put in more like you just put like now I tell you uh this time I didn't think I didn't pray there was no advice I just put in another 20000 so I invested 30000 so 90000 shares it was like 34 cents per share I tell you what it is worth now okay it is worth 0.001 okay like I lost thirty thousand. I mean that's the point I'm making. And I said, oh, no, this is investment. This is." I tell you what it is, okay? If I'm honest with myself, it's greed. It is foolishness. It is inexcusable. It is lack of discipline. It is stupidity. But mainly, it is greed. I've learned my lesson. No more investing like that. It is not investment. It's speculation. So the heart has the capacity to do that, an infinite capacity to hide from itself what is really true. And to justify oneself, to rationalise. And uh, when you know, in your hearts of hearts, you know that it's probably wrong. Um, And so... I want to, I put that verse down there because I want you to know, I want to suggest to you lah, why, how can a good man fail so miserably? I think there's a clue. Okay, the clue is in this verse. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 17. And Samuel told Saul, though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of Israel? The Lord anointed you over Israel. Now this, this verse is said after all the rebuke and all that, that you definitely, you, you are disobedient, you did not carry out. And then he was trying to justify and then Samuel interjected, though you were little in your own eyes, did not God exalted you? Are you not number one now? Why did you do this? So there must be something embedded in this verse that is connected to, that can explain Saul's behaviour, right? And I want to suggest that to you now, what it is. Saul was small in his own eyes and the consequence of that is that there will be a yearning a yearning for significance. He was accepted, loved, appointed, anointed by God, and he's number one, and he still cannot take it in. He still hasn't grasped that. He's still a, he's still yearning for significance, and the search of significance, uh, of course, is many things, but it's mainly focused on these three things. For simplicity, I'll just uh, mention these three things. On uh, focus on achievements. Focus on possessions. Focus on commendations, and uh, I, I, I will deal with them one by one. Okay.
0: Mm. Uh,
1: first, for uh, the need, uh, the need for commendation, uh, because Saul was small in his own eyes, he felt the pressure to please his generals. His officers, his men, and I. No, we, we are no, we are no different. I want to emphasize this again. Please listen to me. We are no different from Saul. We are, we are acceptance magnet. You know, our hearts are always drawn towards acceptance. We want to feel accepted, approved, respected, and loved. And part of the reason why we want to please people is that uh, we want to have more acceptance. So sometimes uh, husbands compromise because they want to please their wife. Or the wives will relent and do something that is really against God's will because they want acceptance of the husband. Or to please their children, as as in the case of Eli. Uh, He refused to rebuild the sons and all that because, you know, the family is so close-knit. He loved his children. He came like that. So we are acceptance magnet. And so, again, I only did what they said I should do. Okay. Now, the second thing, the second consequence uh, of, of uh, being small in your own eyes is this. There will be a focus on achievements, possessions, and recommendations, right? So, Paul then sought to elevate himself he struggled to, to strengthen his position as king. Even though he didn't need to do that, but you see, there's a, like a, a deficit. Uh, he didn't get what God had given him, but he, there was a deficit that he, he needed from external sources, from possession, from people, from, uh, from achievements or whatever. And so, uh, there were three things he did. Okay? First of all, he set up a monument for himself. He knew that. That was specifically mentioned in the Bible. He set up because it was a tremendous victory. You know, uh, uh, monuments are... uh, You you may not appreciate what monument is, right? Uh, Because now we don't set up monuments. But can you imagine a road named after you? Vincent Lim Avenue. Lo Chiming Road. I mean, it is... I mean, it's, it's just... Yeah, you know, and uh, or something like Bangkok Phi uh, Library, uh, a monument. You want to be immortalized and remembered uh, as somebody who contributed to history. You method, and so he set up a monument for himself. Secondly, he told uh, you know after uh, Samuel was so angry, I'm not going with you, and then he he he. Clung onto the rope and then tore the rope. I right? said, Please come back with me. Why? Why, why? why go back with you? Please honor me now before the elders of my people. Now, look at this verse. I'll tell you what it means. Huh? Everybody was waiting for a victory ceremony, you know. I mean, this is a tremendous victory, you know. And there was a celebration, like National Day, like kind of thing. And who is going to be the guest of honor? there is no better guest of honour than the ex-president, not the ex-president, the ex-leader, the ex-judge, who is Samuel. Can you imagine that at your wedding, you know we're all invited, and suddenly we see who is the guest of honour? In the table is Lee Sien-Lung. What? Do you know Lee long Long? Wow. And all the cabinet minister. what kind of connections do you have? You know, that kind of, you know, like, I'm so well connected. These people pay me more. You know, and important people, I invite and they should show up. Samuel, please show up. Please honour me. Samuel went. Okay, Samuel went. The third, he spared Agag. Do you know the significance of sparing Agag? You can kill everybody, but Agag is a trophy of war to have the king now your subject, your servant, the king now under your control, the king now having to do whatever you want. Why, Lord? They call it a oh, whole Because it's so, so powerful. This is the most important piece and I have him under my thumb. So, this was, you see, these are all evidence that this man who is small in his own eyes, needing to focus on these achievements, commendations, and needing to elevate himself to get a sense of worth, to, to have a, a sense of self-importance, and the temptation, therefore, to take charge. Oh, why let? Why kill Aegag? So soon? I mean, I can, I can kill Aegag. I'm not. I'm not sparing him. But uh, let's keep him for a year, and I want him to serve me for a year. You know, the, the kind of being wise in your own eyes. Now, this is the story of chapter fifteen from Saul's perspective. Okay. This is why we disobey. We disobey. Because we are small in our own eyes. And then we justify our disobedience. And all because then we feel good. We feel smart. We feel right. This is God's assessment. After all that is said, God has something to say. And God says this. Through Samuel, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry. Have you thought about it? Why? Why? Why rebellion is as sin of divination? Why is this combat? Uh, disobedience is like divination. This is strange. So let me then analyse the word with you. All right, this is just my own analysis. You do your own meditation and, and analysis. All right, What is rebellion? Rebellion is... Resistance to authority. Rebellion springs from an anger, uh, arrogant and independent spirit. Rebellion, if you are rebellious, you think you know better and you have the right to disagree with certain texts in the Bible, commands, and you you have commands to make about how God uh, dealt with the people and you have your own opinion, right? This is an arrogant spirit. Satan promotes rebellion. Always, from the beginning. Satan incites rebellion. And how does he do it now? He does it through the spirit of the age. The spirit of age uh, is now. The spirit of age. Uh, oh, actually, it has always been uh, to exhort self. Your rights, your personal choice, your self-entitlement, your convenience is you. It's about you. That's the spirit of the age. And that's why rebellion is so serious in God's sight. Now, what about divination? Well, divination is turning to witchcraft to find out more about the future. You see, you, you turn to a witch uh, and, and all those tanky or whatever to find out about the future. Then, if you know about the future, you, you can have better control of your life, and this is apart from God, and you try to to know what to do in the way that ignore God's Word. If if you can foretell, you know the future, uh, you you need to rely less on God. You need to depend on God. Rebellion and divination, putting them side by side, both involve trusting in something other than God. Both have the basic definition of subjecting oneself to the realm of Satan. That is why God side by side. Rebellion is as divination. Disobedience is that serious. Presumptuousness is, is an abomination. It's like divination. Okay? Now let me talk about obedience. What then is obedience? We now know what is rebellion. Disobedience, right? It's like divination. Is It's independent spirit, arrogant, wanting to have your own way, control your own destiny, do your own thing, have your own views. Now that's disobedience. What is obedience? At the core of obedience is submission. Or you can use another word, surrender. And I like this verse because I think this verse contains words. There are terms there that defines uh, uh, there are terms of submission and surrender in this verse. And this is one of the verses I, I memorized when I was a young Christian. One of the earliest verses I memorized, and I think you should too. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. And what is the opposite of that? What is the opposite of trusting the Lord with all your hearts? It's leaning on your own understanding. It's rebellion. So you see, the first line is obedience. The second line is disobedience. The third line is obedience. And then the the fourth line is the fruits of obedience. Now, I I know that a lot of people have a, a problem with submission, surrender, discipleship, uh... Until recently, I have a lot of problems with all these difficult verses, you know. Because uh, I have a wrong idea that surrendering discipleship is about giving up. I got to give up this, I got to forego that, I got to give up, give up, give up, give up. God God is so like always want me to give up. Actually, I think it's wrong. It's wrong. It is not about giving up. Surrender is, is not giving up. It is about giving in. It is just like that. God, you are Lord and I'm not. And you have a say. And what you say is true and what you want, I'll do. Just say. I don't have to give up. But if I don't give in, I definitely cannot give up. But once I have already given in, it is easy to give up. And I will give you a story of what I mean. Okay, okay, uh Lauren Cunningham you know you with the mission you with the mission is is big okay uh, uh 23000 staff they have uh, how many ships how many hotel training schools and it's big founded by Lauren Cunningham and uh when he was 24 he started ministry and uh uh he wanted to get married he said i hate being single and he he was a traveling missionary, and he was he felt very alone. And there was once when he was in Paris, up in the Alpha Tower, and he was alone in Paris. He told the Lord, "God, I want to. I don't want to be single." Then he heard a sermon, and this is a sermon from First Corinthians chapter seven, where where you know uh, Paul said that you know uh, uh, singlehood, if you can take it, singlehood is good and all that. God, do you want me to be single? Then he prayed and he processed this, you know. And then finally, he came to the point of giving in. And said, okay, God, okay. If you think that it is better for me to be single, you want me to be single, I agree with you. I'm prepared to be single. I put it on the altar. And that was what he said. Uh, I Place my right to be married on the altar. I give up my rights. I'm willing to be unmarried if that is your will. And suddenly, after giving in, um, he said that he was a, a newfound freedom. You know? he, he was no longer preoccupied with this issue of marriage. He was, he was just serving the Lord. And a few months later, eh, lo and behold, there was a woman who had just said the same prayer and also surrendered her right to be married to the Lord. And the Lord brought him together. For years, he was searching for a life partner, and suddenly he just found it. After giving in, he didn't have to give out. The Lord just gave it to him. So this is what I mean. What is obedience? Obedience is responding to what is asked of you. And when God asks of you, You just give in. Yes, God, you have the right to ask this of me. You have the right to to require me to change course. You have the right. And I can give up or I can take it up. Maybe it's not about giving up, but to take on. The Lord commanding you, you will marry. And then you just marry. (laughs) It can be the opposite too. But anyway, it is responding to what is asked of you. Now, service is a lot easier. Service is giving to people. Worship is easy. Worship is adoration to God. But obedience is responding to what is asked of you. That's more difficult. And you cannot do it unless you understand the gist of obedience. The call of obedience is surrender, submission. It is to give in because God has the right. Then you can give up if required to. And uh, so I put here, I summarized below, uh, sorry if I'm long-winded, uh, the reason why we cannot give up things for God is because we have not learned to give in to God. And that, that's really the point I want to make. Okay? Now, um, time is running out and I want to rush, okay? I, uh, now that I've talked about uh, the the core of, of, uh, of obedience, I want to talk to you a little bit about the cause of disobedience. The cause of disobedience is found also in the life of Saul. Now, you have to see uh, that the essence of submission is like, okay, the essence of submission. Submission is not getting under the domination of authority. Okay, it's not like that. At least in... For God, la. for God, it's not like that. Submission to God is coming under the protection of His authority, not under the domination of His authority. But it is different for Satan. In the kingdom of darkness, it is really under the, the dominion of the Satan's authority. But for God, it is under the protection of His authority. Let me just give it a straight, it's like, the, like an umbrella. You know? When you are under the sub, you are under submission and surrender, You are under the umbrella of God's protection. And when you disobey, you step out, okay? You walk out of this protection. And there is an example in the life of Saul. Now, the uh, the Bible recorded for us uh, three three instances. At three points in his life, he he disobeyed God in a specific point and he suffered a specific loss. You see, he walked out of the umbrella of God's protection, and every time he did that, he suffered a loss. The first occasion was this. Uh, this was uh, Chi Ming's message, where, what, what was the sin? He knew that it was against God's law to offer a sacrifice, because only priests could do that, okay? But because the people were, were scattering and leaving, and he was panicky, and he, could, was, grew, he grew very impatient, he said, I, I just do it. Let me tell you why why he wanted to do it, okay? Because uh, in ancient days, uh, in ancient days, fighting a war requires more than military arsenal. In ancient times, if you want to fight a war, you need spiritual arsenal. That's why if you look at the chess set, English Chess. King and Queen, right? Who is beside the King and Queen? Not the Knight. Bishop, they always need to consult the spiritual man. Should we go? It's that important. If you don't have your spiritual arsenal, you are very vulnerable because reconnaissance and spying and intelligence is I mean, they are not so advanced in in military science. So, when Saul, when Samuel didn't show up, he had to take things to say, I need to hear from God. Answer me. See, spiritual arsenal is so important. But he disobeyed. What did he lose? He lost a heritage that God had actually intended for him to pass down to Jonathan and Jonathan's a generation. It was supposed to be lasting, okay? So Samuel said to Saul, I've acted foolishly. You have you have not kept the command of the Lord which he had commanded you. For now, for now, actually, uh, up to now, uh, the Lord would have, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. It was supposed to have been passed down through your line. But now, your kingdom shall not endure. Now God, God didn't say that from now you are no longer king. No, he didn't say that. He just not that. It will not perpetuate you, your sons have lost the right. the heritage will not be passed the on. Second, the second time he disobeyed God was this: He failed to carry out God's command. All right, This is the, my message today at chapter 15, where he did not destroy the Amalekites. and the loss the loss is uh, described in, uh, is stated in uh, uh, verse 28, and Samuel said to Saul, "The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel away from you." Today, today, earlier on, it was like, well, I don't know how long it will last, but it will not perpetuate. But when he committed the second time disobedience, now, okay, it will end. And the next chapter, God sends Samuel to anoint David, straight away. The anointing left him and uh, Prophet Samuel never saw him again. No more spiritual arsenal you are totally on your own. That was how severe the loss was. The third loss, okay, he forcibly wanted to extract uh, uh, a prophetic word because, see, you cannot fight a war without spiritual arsenal. So he was so desperate that he had to seek a witch and to get the witch to call out Samuel, I need a word from you, Samuel. Even if you're dead, I'm going to call you out from the grave. You are going to speak to me. You will Serve me, right? So anyway, Simon did come up from the grave, and and but only to pronounce the third loss. This time, he did not only lose the heritage that would that would have been passed to his son. He did not only lose the ministry. But he lost. He would lose his life. Now, so this is what I mean. You see, under submission. Under the umbrella of submission, you have, you have protection. But when you step out, every time you step out, you suffer a loss like what I did with my shared speculation. You step out, alright, you are on your own. And you've got to learn this. The cost of disobedience. Now, because I've got two minutes, I'll give you an extra, okay? I will give you this bonus, okay? This is actually Wilfred Peng's part. About the life of David, just just a paragraph. To contrast the cost of disobedience, I will give you an example of the price of obedience. You know, uh, the Bible recorded for us uh, that uh, in First Samuel chapter twenty-five. I checked the schedule already. Okay, none of the preachers are going to preach on chapter twenty-four, and. Uh, David had every opportunity to kill Saul and he had every reason to do that. You see, if he doesn't kill Saul, Saul will kill him. Is that a good reason to kill Saul? Of course. Self-defense. Alright. And the Lord had already anointed him as king. He, who, who was to stop him from now? taking on the crown. And as long as he doesn't kill Saul, do you know the consequence? The consequence is that people would die. Do you know what he did to the priests by killing all the priests? And, and he was murderous. He was possessive. He would have killed his son. This guy is mad, is possessed. He had every reason to take Saul's life. But David... Because he had a submissive spirit, because he, was an, he had an obedient spirit, he was not wise in his own night. because he, was, he just wanted to do the right thing, and the right thing is this. Uh, oh, sorry. The right thing is this. Saul is still king. Saul is still the authority over him. It is not his business to replace the king. I may be the the leader elect, but it's not for me to do that. So he he refused to do the wrong thing and to do things that is right in his own eyes. And of course, not long after this, up to chapter 24, uh, by an arrow, a stray arrow that somebody, the Philistines, shoot and it's just uh, I mean the, the aim at nobody one, okay, this straight arrow and just and he just went, and he pierced, saw, and he died. You see, at the appointed time, it will happen. And immediately, the whole nation gathered, or not, not the whole nation, Judah immediately welcomed him and appointed him as, as king. And later on, Israel also wanted him to be king. You see, it's coming under the protection of, of uh, uh, God's protection means blessing. Okay, so this is, my message, I want to end with a very short story about the blessing about, um, you know, how important it is uh, to be submissive, to, uh, to trust God, to trust God. You know, uh, uh, because I'm reading a book on the, by Lauren Cunningham, I'll just give you another story from his book. It is, Lauren Cunningham said that in 1977, he had two two hundred and fifty staff and his students were felt that the Lord wanted them to purchase a building. Actually, it was a hotel, the hotel that they lease, okay. And they felt that the Lord wanted them to buy that hotel because it was put on sale and they were accepting bids, but they had no money. And uh, so they, everybody, you know, faith, just give, give as much as possible. And they had a small amount, just enough to put a small deposit to put in a bit, And then it was waiting time. And as they were praying and they were seeking the Lord, uh, the Lord impressed upon them to give. So instead of fundraising, uh, the whole 11 months uh, was about giving. It was a test, you know, you see. But they have to give in, right? So they give in they had a big sum of money set aside because they wanted to buy a ship. It had been on their their dream uh, to have a mercy ship. So they have accumulated hundreds and thousands, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars to buy this ship. And the Lord said, give that money to OM, Operation Mobilization, because Operation Mobilization also has a ship, right? So they took all the money which could have been used to buy the ship or the hotel, everything they gave to OM. And Soon after, another Christian organization gave them a property, and the value of the property is 10 times the value of what they gave to OM. Say, ah, wow, suddenly they have a valuable property. What can you do with it? They were mortgaged it, and with the mortgage money, then they can buy the hotel. But the Lord specifically told them they are to only bid at this particular price. So they went to the owner and they put in the bid with some conditions uh, that bid there were so many people bidding for the hotel you know and they waited they waited and in the process of waiting the lord dealt with all the members that i am against greed you know all these people who are bidding for the hotel is greed 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 i want you all to, i want to break the curse of greed i want you all to start giving I want everybody to give generously. So, you know, anything, you know. So, okay, they responded. See, they have gave, they give in to God. And so, it's not difficult to give away, Right to give out. So, so they went to their house, they gave away their favorite paintings, gave away their favorite furniture, some gave away their favorite clothes, some gave money, they just gave. They said it was so fun, you know. Because, like, well, it's like Christmas, Christmas time, everybody's like giving. And then, 11 months later, right, the result of the bid came. The owner accepted their bid. Out of all the bids, the owner accepted the bid and he says that their bid was only one quarter the value of what the owner asked for. So actually they think that it's possible even with the mortgage of this property, how can they buy a hotel? But the Lord specifically told them only bid this amount it is only one quarter of the value of what the owner asked for. And they got it! They got it! See? You give in. When you give in, when you submit, that is that is really the gist of, of obedience. Surrender. Surrender. You give in. Then you can, you can do more when God asks of you. And so... Um, I I don't want you to think that this is so difficult. You know, it's so... Remember what I told you before? Philippians 2.13, my favourite verse. God is working in you to give you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. The Spirit is working in you all the time. And the author of your faith is the perfecter of your faith. The Lord is working to help you to be obedient. So it's not difficult. But you must this one, God cannot engineer. Huh? God is. This one, you've got to do it yourself. You've got to give in. And when you give in, you come under the umbrella of His protection, and the blessings will come. The direction, the spiritual arsenal will come. God will speak to you like, a, like having a, a prophet Samuel beside you. The, God will give you directions and your help, and the indication and the amount. It's so fun to live under the protection, the umbrella. Of, of submission. Okay, everybody is hungry, so I'm not have an auto call, but I will. Okay, because this is a serious message, I will give you a time to respond. I ask the musician to come forward. We just, we just be quiet before God, because as I've said, okay. What happened to Saul can happen to us. He was a man like us. His struggles are ours. His vulnerabilities. Are also ours. He has a deceptive heart. Don't we also have a deceptive heart? And we've got to ask God to help us. Okay, and I want you to, to remember that the test of obedience remember this that the test of obedience is not more commitment. Don't say that I since I can't obey and submit, I will be more committed, I will give more. You cannot. The test of obedience is not more commitment. It is just submission. The test of obedience is submission. Let's just sing that song, all right, in closing and I will close in prayer. Shall we rise? Sing. Jesus
0: be the center. Amen.
1: Jesus you are lord you are god you are you are central you are essential you are the center And yet you did not consider yourself equality with god as something to be grasped when you you came down on earth you you humbled yourself fully in submission to god fully surrendered to God and you are our example the forerunner the author of our faith you who became you who were great who are great and you became small for our sake you lived the perfect life in our place and, and you died the death that we deserve. You didn't seek to save your own life. You gave it up so that we can be like you. Oh God, there is no reason for any one of us to feel small in our own eyes anymore because we are great because of you in God's eyes. So I pray that this fact will really sink in. Teach us what it means to live the obedient life, the surrendered life, the life that Gives in to you, oh God, hack to pieces the self-deception that threatens our soul. Thank you for grace. You promise that you uh, that you will give more grace to the humble, but you will oppress, you will oppose the proud. Give more grace to your children so that we will have the desire and the power to live the life that pleases you. Thank you for hearing this prayer and may whatever you have planted in our hearts, I pray that you will not be lost. It will resonate and you will keep on ringing in our ears because we need to hear from you again. We give you thanks. We pray this in Jesus' name.
0: Amen.